Welcome back to The Right Heart, a Catholic podcast about forming our hearts to guide us surely in the everyday life of faith. You are listening to episode 17. I'm Erin Franco, a Catholic mother of three and wife to one amazing husband who holds down the fort at home while I get to talk about Jesus with amazing guests every week. I'm so thankful for him and I couldn't do this without him. So if you remember to, please say a prayer for him. His name is Michael and he's tall, dark, handsome, and such a cheerful servant. So I'm very grateful for him. If you're listening to the show for the first time today, you can learn more about me and the podcast, find show notes for all the episodes of The Right Heart so far, and check out my blog, Humble Handmade, by going to erinfranco.com. My guest for the episode today is sharing her and her husband's journey back to the Catholic Church's teachings on marriage and family. They started off their marriage using contraception and had a conversion as a couple that led them to restore their fertility back to God. So my guest today is Lisa Schmidt. She's a Catholic writer, blogger, and speaker. She blogs with her husband, Deacon Joel Schmidt, at The Practicing Catholic, uh, which I believe is just thepracticingcatholic.com, so easy to find. Lisa is a public administrator by profession, but she now stays home with her three children. She writes columns for CatholicMom.com and CatholicStand.com, and she also co-hosts a show with her bishop on Catholic Radio in her home state of Iowa. Lisa, welcome to The Right Heart. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you, Erin. What a pleasure to be with you today. All right. So there are a lot of Catholic couples out there who, for whatever reason, actually because the Holy Spirit has been nudging them, have really been doing some thinking on what they're doing in their marriages with regards to following or not following the Catholic Church's teachings on marriage and family planning. This episode is for those people, those people who have heard Christ knocking on the door of that area of their marriage. Lisa, you and your husband, Deacon Joel, have really courageously, I think, shared the story of your conversion as a couple back to the teachings of the church on this issue. And so that's what the topic of the episode is about. And I'd love for you to get us started by sharing where you guys started with your whole journey there. Well, sure. You know, I, I'm a cradle Catholic, and my husband is a convert, and uh, he's been in the faith for about 11 years now. And it took, um, quite honestly, it took Catholic radio for us to really understand the Church's teaching on um, human sexuality and natural family planning. And it just so happened that we lived in a city where each of us had a commute. And it oh, yeah. at the same time, here in Iowa, Iowa Catholic Radio was being formed. And so we heard about it, and so our commute consisted of, on the way into our jobs, was Father John Ricardo, who's now syndicated with EWTN. Oh, he's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, at the time, he wasn't on EWTN. He was just on Ave Maria Radio, I believe, which um, Iowa Catholic Radio piped in. And on the way home, we listened to Catholic Answers. So we had these two bookends of these great teachers. (laughs) They're wonderful. Right, Father John and Catholic Answers. And it was hard not to... We didn't have, we couldn't say anymore, well, no one ever taught us this, because they were teaching it through the radio waves to us. And as you said, the Holy Spirit, you know, 
brought us to those commutes and introduced us to Iowa Catholic Radio. And um, so once we started to learn the Church's teaching, then we had to do something about it. Because at the time, you know, I was kind of... Um, I was riding the, the the woman professional wave, right? I was climbing the ladder. I was in, um, I worked in politics and government, and there aren't a lot of women in management in those positions. And so the career ladder was really growing tall for me, and I had a, I had a really wide open path to break down some glass ceilings. And so to do that, though, you know, you need to... Um, be careful about how many children you have and space them out properly and make sure that the children wouldn't get in the way of, of that ladder breaking through that glass ceiling. So I just kind of bought into that, you know, and um, so it took it took a lot of courage, I guess, for me to submit to God and to also, um, you know, recognize that my career didn't make me, that all of this was a gift from God and First and foremost, my body and my fertility was, was God's. And as you say, it was time to restore that to God who gave it to me. Wow. So Catholic Radio, I have heard so many people tell me about the impact of Catholic Radio on their faith, and I love it. I actually didn't know that that was part of your story. That's yeah, awesome. you know, and I do want to share one thing. And, um, you know, the church is a really... <laughs> We can complicate, and I shouldn't blame it on the Church. We as Catholics do, can do a really good job of complicating this matter or to make it more than it really is. But I heard Jason Everett say, and he is the director of the Chastity Project, and many of your listeners probably are very familiar with Jason and Christalina yeah. Everett. But Jason said the most profound thing, just, I don't know, in the last year or two, I, I heard my Catholic answers, and I now use this when I share, you know, the Church's teaching on, on sexuality and natural family planning. But he, he says, you know, let's start with the assumption that our wives are perfect, that she's created in the image and likeness of God, that our bodies as wives, as women, work exactly as designed by the author of life, by God. Now, let's consider which makes more sense. Should we, A, manipulate how her body or our bodies, ladies, how our bodies naturally work using some combination of chemicals, devices, and barriers to conform to our husband's sexual desires? Or should we manipulate or should the man manipulate his sexual desires and the woman too through prayer and growth um, and virtue to conform how our our bodies naturally works. So it's a desire versus a design thing. Our desires versus God's design. God's design. And which sounds like, you know, self-sacrificing agape love. And when he said that, I thought, wow, that's pretty much it in a nutshell, you know, that I don't, we don't, I don't need to complicate this. I can just use that, that example. So um, when I heard that, it just even further solidified. And I have been contraceptive-free for, I don't know, um, 11 years now, 10 years now, and I just heard that a few years ago, but that just really solidified you know, any struggles I was having with NFP or just, you know, we're on our third kid, and I'm, I'm kind of feeling a little overwhelmed, like, really, before, how are we going to do this, you know? And, um, so it just, it was, it was a really helpful quote from Jason Everett that um, has helped me, too. I love him. He, he... And Kristalina, his wife, I, um, I've used their Theology of the Body for Teens stuff that they've done and talks. And back when I was 
I don't know, a little bit younger and doing more youth ministry stuff. They have a lot of great materials out there. I'll have to put them in the show notes. Um, but I love, I love that you kind of bring up the idea of like logic being such really an easy part of a decision to do what's best for your marriage and best for your body when it comes to dealing with your sexuality and being married because you're sexually active when you marry. Uh, so what would be, but going back to the logic thing, what was your logic kind of before you heard this laid out like that? What was your logic before when you were contracepting? You know, I don't know that I really, I, I think I just went along with the flow. I wasn't really thinking logically. I was just, you know, following, you know, I was a dumb sheep following the sheep herd. And granted, you know, I, um, you know, I was, I'm 39 years old and, um, you know, those little baby feet, baby feet that we wear to show, show pro-life. Oh, um, yeah. Feet, right. So. I was wearing those back in 7th, 8th, and ninth grade, like when they first came out. Like, like, I'm trying to make the point, I'm 39, so that was what, I don't know how many years ago. But, um, so it's not, it's not that I, I've always been strongly pro-life, and I've always defended unborn life in the womb, and, um, and, I, and like I said, I've been a cradle Catholic, but I, I was never exposed to the Church's teaching on this until you know, in the last decade or so. Um, so my logic was, well, this is what you have to do to, um, you know, to get ahead or to afford um, a decent home, to not go crazy. To not, and yeah, I, yeah. I think about, like, there's, a, there's an episode on Call the Midwife, or is it, yeah, Call the Midwife on PBS. Mm-hmm. And... I think it was during the second season, I'm not sure, but it, the episode talked about or introduced contraception. And the story they told to get into selling birth control is basically what they were doing or showing how great birth control is, is they showed a woman who had eight children and who was overwhelmed with life. And they lived in this two, two room, um, tiny shack in the middle of London. And, you know, it was just her life was in chaos. She was in chaos. And at the end of the show, um, they basically said that, um, you know, thanks be to God for reliable contraception. Now, daughters and granddaughters' lives have been transfigured forever. And so, and then the, the show ended with this family walking off, you know, into this green meadow and they're all running and playing and being happy. And the wife, of course, is very joyous. Um, and it's just, so that's that mentality out there that a woman cannot be sane, comfortable, um, holy, happy, joyful, whatever, if she has that many kids. And so this little pill here is going to help her achieve those things. Um, and I think, you know, I bought into that. that yeah, you, you buy into it. I mean, I remember that kind of that same logic thinking, I love God. I, I love being Catholic. But whenever I get married, I mean, nobody really does that anymore. The NFP thing. I mean, it doesn't really work. And there's just no way I can handle having all kind of kids. Well, fast forward and lots of learning, lots of learning <laughs> later and actually being married and actually doing an FP later. 
And I know one thing that I've learned about the, you know, speaking to the whole fear of having 10 kids thing is that a lot of women out there, a lot of couples are going to have fewer kids than they actually want. I had no idea Mm -hmm. how many people deal with infertility, subfertility, miscarriage. I mean, I've been, you know, without sharing, you know, my husband and I's entire story, we just people we know and then our personal experiences, we have just been, you know, shocked and unpleasantly surprised, I think, at how how much suffering there is in that area. And if you do have 10 children, that is a miracle. <laughs> that yeah. just, it really is a miracle. So I always tell people point. that, like young brides, you know, who make comments about that. I'm like, I'm not telling you to have 10 kids, but just really, really pray and discern and trust the Lord because it just doesn't always happen like you think it will. Or you might have several children and then all of a sudden not be able to have any more for whatever reason. Yeah, excellent point. And when I went off the pill, um, we struggled. We had two miscarriages and it took a long time for the chemicals of the birth control pill to get out of my system. And, you know, I think about, you know, I mourn the loss of those two babies and I, I have to wonder, and was it because of the, the contraception, the hormone in my body that wouldn't allow my baby to thrive? And that's heartbreaking to think of that, that, you know, that pill that I took caused or played into the deaths of two of my children. And so you're, you're spot on when you talk about um, just the idea of this doesn't go this way. You know, birth, getting pregnant is not going to be maybe as easy as you would think. And we've said it's all come full circle because my husband is a deacon with the Diocese of Des Moines, and our bishop requires all of the deacons here to have a ministry plan that serves the entire need, not just the parish that that deacon is assigned to, but the entire needs of of the diocese and beyond, really. And so my husband really felt called um, to begin a miscarriage or a pregnancy and infant loss ministry, because when we went through those miscarriages, we received little support from the church. Um, Not maliciously or not intentionally, it's just, you know, it's an area that I think we've come to learn that um, a lot of... um, you know, a lot of folks inside the church are uncomfortable talking about because they're just not they're just not sure how to how to handle the death of a child in the womb at say ten weeks, twelve weeks, or you know, on early terms. So, um, I guess that's just a long <laughs> a long uh, route around the your question at hand. But I wanted to underscore your point about um, fertility and infertility issues. And spiritually speaking, I'm sure that you had a lot of spiritual growth during the time when you made the huge decision and very courageous to make such a big change in your marriage as far as going from not using contraception to being open to life or if, you know, I don't know if you guys needed to use natural family planning for whatever reason at that time, but like what what kind of prayers or spiritual growth can you share with us that went on in your heart during that time? You know, I think... um Really, like I just was speaking about the whole um, the miscarriage thing, I think that I'll say what, what guilt, you know, feelings of guilt that how could have, how could have I allow this to happen, um, even though that's not necessarily the, the reality of it, but that's how I was processing it. I think that was a big driver that I will never be responsible, you know, I will never do that 
to another child again. I will never put those chemicals in my body to harm um, my body or any, any future children. So that really led me. Um, it wasn't really that hard of a jump for us because I think my husband and I are both pretty rule-based people. We enjoy order. We enjoy rules. We enjoy following them. And so mm-hmm. once we were introduced to the teaching, we just kind of jumped with each of us two feet full in and, um, you know, took a, took a class with the Creighton model, learned how to chart, learned that all was about. Well, at first, actually, no, we didn't. We just kind of left it open to God. We just started, you know, um, we stopped contracepting and just, we were open. And then we experienced the fertility issues and the miscarriage. And so then we started um, charting with Creighton to find out, is there something bigger going on biologically with me that we need to address medically? And so the, that helped us learn how to chart because we had to chart to learn, okay, if my body was, you know, doing, um, doing things that, it, that weren't normal and that, that we should fix in, in regard to my fertility. I see. So if you don't mind me asking or sharing, so were you, was the Creighton model, like the technology in there, able to help heal you of anything that was going on? I know I've had several guests on the show who have been helped by it or teach it or whatever, and um, I was just wondering if you would feel comfortable sharing that. Yes, it, it really did help me. I didn't have to have any um, procedures done, but um, I definitely became aware of my signs, and I could better read them. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't, don't want to get too technical, right, or too, <laughs> sure. too much information here, but it was, I could see patterns, and I also learned a lot about nutrition and how that played a part in, um, well, I'll just say it like it is, my mucus production. And so I learned that things like <laughs> gluten and um wheat and um, sugar, how the, how my body was responding to that. And so I've, I've seen a dramatic difference um, just through regular charting and diet and exercise. So I haven't had, um, you know, haven't had to, to do anything surgically or, or take any particular medicines to help get my fertility back on track. So that was, that was good. But knowing that the resource is there and um, with Creighton, with the procedures that they do surgically, was, uh, was a bonus. And that's why we chose the Creighton model. Awesome. Awesome. Lisa, I wanted to see if you would share any, well, I'm sure there are, if you would share the fruits of um, just returning to faithfulness in your marriage, in this part of your marriage. What have those been over the last 10 years or so? I don't want to sugarcoat it because it's certainly it's sure. certainly been you know challenges absolutely and um, but I do want to say that just the freedom of knowing that we have restored our fertility to God that is in God's hands it's there's just an interior freedom that comes about when you just submit and you say I'm not the creator. I'm not in charge. I don't have control. I cannot control this. And so um, there's just a ton of weight that's off my shoulders, knowing, and my husband's shoulders, knowing that we are doing this um, faithfully and prudentially in the eyes of the church. And so that there is huge in itself. You know, just in our marriage, 
um, just knowing that, you know, we have, like I said, restored this to God, and, and He will provide and He will bless us abundantly, whatever that looks like. You know, three kids, if we don't have any, we have three kids currently, if we're not able to achieve pregnancy and um, have any more children biologically, we're comfortable with that because we have left this in God's hands. Um, so that's really, really been huge. Um, it's funny, I, I say, we talk about how, you know, communication, and it is, you communicate so much more openly about um, about sexuality because you have to talk about your cycle and if you're fertile and if you're postponing pregnancy, all that plays into the discussion. But we, I, we joke because I have an app on my phone that tracks my cycle. <laughs> and it's easy to just, you know, put in the markers for the day and move on and never have a conversation about it. And you could say, oh, just look at my phone, honey, you know, honey, or oh, go look online, you know, because we have the ability to look online um, or to, it syncs online with the app. Mm-hmm. Um, but that, you know, we joke about that because it's like, oh, it's going to improve communication and here, go look at your screen. And, you know, when you see that I'm not fertile anymore, then feel free to come to me. But so, um, but yeah, we, the communication has improved. Um, and we really talk about it, you know, like, are we overwhelmed right, right now? Are we in a good place right now? Like, um, just talk about like, could we physically, emotionally, spiritually welcome a child into our lives at this point? Um, you know, you're always having those conversations um, when you are, you know, using a natural family planning lifestyle. So that's really, really been big. That's just really where we are with the journey, that it's really helped us, you know, just, just know that we're making this virtuous decision has emboldened us, I guess, in our faith and has really opened the door, the door to be submissive to God's will and God's direction for our life. And as I said, there's just this huge... The interior freedom that comes with that is really hard to put into words, but it's just peaceful and um, and right, and and, and that and that just really grounds you, or grounds us anyway. I mean, I I think I I totally get everything that you were saying as far as the fruits. What kept jumping out to me was that underlying, basically the underlying word of peace and unity in your marriage. And trust me. I've talked about it on the podcast. I've written about it on the blog. I'm not going to, sh- I'm not the first person to ever sugarcoat NFP because, you know, intimacy is messy. Marriage is messy. And there are so many ups and downs and reasons for those ups and downs. But even in the way, way, way downs where I've been with intimacy in my marriage for whatever reason, there's such a peace that comes from knowing that you're being faithful and knowing that even though you can't feel grace working in you it is working in you it's just that God works in months and years sometimes but all along he is solidifying your faith and he is um, cementing your faith he is moving you forward and drawing you closer to him and really without the lows um, in intimacy and marriage the highs you know the wonderful times wouldn't be as wonderful maybe we would take them for granted a little bit more and it's kind of how life is, right? I mean, we wouldn't appreciate heaven so much if life weren't so hard <laughs> in general. Right. Yeah, and and in, a, in living this lifestyle can really be, as you said, it can be a cross. So you can choose to either, you know, curse the cross and say, "Oh, forget about it. I'm just going to follow the crowd and go with the flow that society tells me is, you know, is the right way to do this, or it's a better way to do this." Or I could embrace the cross and, and submit 
and be amazed two, three, four, however many years down the road at how God's grace worked in your life and carried you through that stressful time. But I'm reminded, too, of just the whole, you know, the two shall become one flesh. And there's, um, in, um, it used to be, and I have had the insights from my husband because he's a deacon, right? So he has, <laughs> he has the ability to marry or to, um, to officiate weddings and things like that. And so once upon a time, they don't use it as much anymore, um, but there was something called the exhortation before marriage. And it was commonly used at the time of the sermon during the marriage rite. And in that, it's, it's a beautiful quote, but it says, you will belong entirely to each other. You will be one mind, one in heart, and one in affection. And whatever sacrifices you may hereafter be required to make to preserve this mutual life Always make them through. Always make them generously. Sacrifice is usually difficult and irksome. Only love can make it easy, and perfect love can make it a joy. We are willing to give in proportion as we love, and when love is perfect, the sacrifice is complete. Um, and I had to pull that up because I was struggling with words when you said the fruits of this. And I think right there, that's really what what I'm what we're experiencing is we're you know we're one in mind, one in heart, one in affection. And, and when we go through the sacrifices and the struggles and the burdens, and um, when we go through those things, um, as this as this piece of the of the marriage rate says, you know, it'll help us preserve our mutual life together and help us grow together in love, in perfect love. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I love that quote. I'm going to have to get that one for you for the show notes, too, for me. Um, yeah. One thing I was thinking about while you were saying that, um, you know, saying the quote is for the unity thing, just if there's anybody out there who's any little bit like me, I I just want to encourage you that, y- yes, the unity, how do I put it? So that even if in a specific moment or day or week or a month even, that's really, really hard in this area of your life or that you're filled with fear or you're not on the same page with your spouse as far as intimacy, getting into perspective and zooming out and realizing, but over like a zoomed out view of the situation and of our marriage, we are on the same page. Just getting that perspective and zooming out is so important. We can just get so zeroed in on the problem of this week or the problem of this month and just think that that speaks to our entire marriage when really, you know, we're, we're doing, you're doing better than you think you are. So that has helped me a lot when I've been tempted to despair over some little argument or, you know, that lasted a few days or whatever. Um, I hope that that makes sense. Just zooming out um, is just really helpful for intimacy in marriage, I think. And I, um, I try to encourage people with that. Yeah, that's a great strategy and a great suggestion. I'll have to keep that in mind for us, too. And when you said that, it reminded me of there was a, a time period where we had an extended period of abstinence. Um, with oh, yes. Uh, but it was long, you know, and it's, in the middle of it, you're just like, oh, oh, you know, where are we going with this, and what are we doing, and, you know, will we ever love each other like that again, and, um, yeah, I, I think we've had two children since, so, <laughs> um, it, it's kind of a cycle, like you said, you just zoom out, and, um, and know that God's got this, right, and just to, um, you know, think long-term, run the race with perseverance, 
Yeah, I was uh, listening to like an audio, dramatized audio Bible thing with my kids. It's a little bit above their heads, but I like it. So I put it on in the van. (laughs) But we listened to the story of Joseph today. And of course, like I've gotten a lot out of that story before. And, you know, I've heard it. But for some reason today, it really struck me how like at the end of the story, the narrator kind of gives an explanation of the story and some basic spiritual truths that we can learn from it, which I love about that particular audio series. But he talked about how, like, what must have Joseph felt like when he spent two years in prison and then he randomly got sent to go live in Potiphar's house and then Potiphar's wife sent him to prison and then the guy he helped forgot about him for two more years. And just all of these terrible things happen in all of these these uh, seemingly like random lows and hard things. But in the end, God just worked it all out for good. And he, Joseph, his trust is such an inspiration for us when we have just hard thing after hard thing happen to us or happen to, you know, intimacy in our marriage. It's just a testament to faith and um, just being able to say that prayer, Lord, this is really hard right now, but please like let my life glorify you. I know you're going to work it all together for good, and I can't wait to see what you do. Just that prayer of trust. Very nice. So, Lisa, kind of to to wrap up the episode, is there any other insight or um, prayer of trust or anything that you would, like a word of truth you would speak to somebody or a couple who's listening to this podcast, they've had it on their heart to restore their fertility back to God, but they're... They have a lot of fear. They're still a little worried. They maybe want to maybe read something else or have a little more explanation. Can you point them to any resource or spiritual resource even? You know, I've I've been thinking about this a lot. And first I just want to say, like, I feel like wholly inadequate to be even talking about this. But I I appreciate you giving me the chance to discuss it because this is is hard stuff, you know, and, and we have to be able to share the good news despite how uncomfortable it may make us. And so when you suggested this topic, I thought, oh, geez, here we go. No. I can't say no to that. Because I'm sorry. No, no. I would rather say no. But, um, you know, I'm not I'm not as eloquent as I would like to be on this topic. As, and so I appreciate the opportunity of getting practice because I think that's how, you know, we all become more eloquent in these difficult topics and, um, you know, socially charged topics around the, the Church's teachings around sexuality. So um, I just want to say, you know, just discussing them with trusted counsel and friends and spiritual friends is, is a very good way to process um, a lot of a lot of what's going on in your heart. Now, it's not, I'm not saying to blow off steam anywhere you choose, but, you know, a real trusted friend or a priest or religious, you know, find people to talk about these things with um, and sort through your feelings and um, because, because like you and I both have had struggles, and we can, you can banter with people about that. But I think too, I'm reading this book by Sister Teresa Noble, um, who writes for um, the Pathos Champ Catholic Channel or the Catholic Portal over at Pathos.com, mm-hmm. and she's a daughter of Saint Paul, and she, I think her particular blog is called Pursued by Truth. But she wrote a book, The Prodigal You Love. And the book is really written for those of us who are in good standing with the church. 
who are trying to evangelize our loved ones, our friends, our family members, and help bring them back into the church, if they've left the church or if they've never been in the church. And she starts by talking about humility. But I think even outside of bringing people back into the church, even for ourselves, like humility is so important. Um, You know, St. Augustine even said, you know, the three most important things for growth in the spiritual life are humility, humility, and humility. And he didn't say it quite like that, but that's basically his point. A triple dose of humility, right, is what's needed to grow in the spiritual life. But um, so I think, you know, Sister Teresa in her book talks about four key things with humility, that first you have to pray for it. And, you know, there's wonderful prayers about humility. This litany of humility is a really great one that just really helps you recognize where all things come from and they come from God. And then the second point is um, pray or welcome opportunities then to be humiliated or to be, or for humility to change you. So basically watch out, you know, pray for humility oh, and allow humility <laughs> to enter your life because it will. And then also recognize the third point she makes is recognize when silence is best. That especially, you know, if, you know, there could be a lot of chatter, a lot of learning about this. There's a lot of talk about NFP on the blogs or about birth, about why to go on the birth control, why not to go on the birth control, you know, depending on what blogs you're reading. Um, sometimes just removing yourself from all the chatter and all the noise and sitting in front of the tabernacle and asking Jesus to show you the way is the best course of action. So you've prayed for humility, you've allowed humility to enter into your life, you're giving yourself permission to be silent, to allow the Holy Spirit to work in your life. And then finally, her fourth point is respect the vast expanse of truth, that there is, a, um, you know, on any side of the issue, there's always going to be truth in every side, and, you know, in every camp is going to, you know, blurt out some truth. And so just recognize that, um, you know, yes, with contraception, there um, there are some secular truths around that, but that doesn't mean, you know, like 50% of pregnancies are unplanned. So the, the, the medical community would have you believe that, well, we have to bring that number down to zero. You know, pregnancies should be planned, right? So there's truth, and yes, 50% of pregnancies in America are unplanned, but there's also the other side of the truth, too. So I think my point here is just to, you know, recognize that there's going to be a lot of um, a lot of facts and details out there about NFP, um, but the church also <laughs> has a glorious work um, set before us to help us and guide us. Um, so just pray for humility and allow humility to soften your heart in those areas um, regarding human sexuality and your relationship with your spouse. And um, and just, again, how to re- I just want to reiterate that with that submission comes an interior freedom unlike any other um, I've experienced that has brought about great peace and joy in my life. Lisa Schmidt, I believe that God, a lot of times we think God calls us when we're not qualified, but what an amazing way to knock that question out of the park at the end of this <laughs> podcast. That was wonderful. Thank you. Well, I give credit to Sister Teresa, who I I adore her. I adore her. And she was here in Des Moines um, a couple months ago giving a talk at a local parish, 
And I was totally like that, you know, like a little teenager at a One Direction concert. Like a fangirl. Oh. Like, oh, I love you so much, Teresa, Sister Teresa. And, but she is so full of joy. And she was an, an atheist, you know, who, who bought into this feminism. And, you know, she had a, um, a growing career in um, the Silicon Valley. And she was, you know, again, she too was on the way up on her career and she just had a huge, you know, the Holy Spirit just knocked her over, and now she's a nun, a daughter of St. Paul. So I think she's really somebody that if people are struggling kind of have one foot in one world and want to make this conversion, um, she's someone to read and and ask her to pray for you, because I've done that. And that woman, she's, her prayers are powerful. All of her prayers are powerful, but she dedicates a lot of time to praying for people who ask for specific prayers. So Sister Teresa oh, wow. Noble, I give, I give her 10 stars. <laughs> oh, wonderful. I, um, I had a daughter of St. Paul on the podcast. I haven't released her episode yet, um, but Sister Tracy Duga, and I know you're a fellow a Catholic media person, and Sister Tracy told me at the end of the episode that, oh yeah, we pray daily for all people in Catholic media because they're media, they're like media nuns, you know? Right, yeah, I, their charism I, is media, yeah. yeah, yeah. I thought that was so awesome. I will definitely have to look Sister Teresa Noble up. She sounds amazing, and I always need prayers, so I'm probably going to email her too. <laughs> Good, do it, do it. Uh, <laughs> have her as a future guest in your podcast because she's, she's very articulate and well-spoken. Um, yeah. especially in terms of, of bringing back loved ones into the church. And, and, and first and foremost, that that takes a conversion of our hearts in order to do that. Yeah. Oh, what an awesome suggestion. I will have to get in touch with her. Thank you. Lisa, You're you welcome. did such a great job. I hope I hope you let the Holy Spirit tell you that he's pleased with you. It's been a great episode. Uh, and thank you again for coming on, for all the great work you do speaking and writing at the Practicing Catholic. And God bless your sacrament, your marriage with Deacon Joel. Thank you, Erin. It's been a pleasure. You're such a lovely woman. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. All right, guys, I want to thank each and every one of you who's given this podcast a chance, who listened in today, especially those of you who have written a review on iTunes or Stitcher, who've shared the show with family and friends, who've sent me an email or put a comment on the blog. Thank you so much for the affirmation and uh, for sharing what has blessed you with others and blessing them in turn. If you loved this episode and you're not subscribed to the podcast yet, definitely go do that. Just put your email address in the little subscription box on therightheartpodcast.com and I'll send you a quick email every time I post a new episode, which is about twice a month. All right, St. Maximilian Colby, Pope St. John Paul II, St. Joseph, pray for us. Immaculate Heart of Mary, pray for us. Until next time, God bless.